Hello and welcome to The Successionistas. The Successionistas. <laughs> a weekly podcast recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Anna Bukutska, I'm a writer, podcaster and Succession superfan. And I'm Mike Munzer, a producer, podcaster and Succession obsessive. And in this podcast, we'll be taking you through the highs and lows of the Roy family saga every single week, recapping every episode of Succession's fourth and final season, which is airing right now on HBO in the US and Sky and Now TV in the UK. And this week, we're diving into the very first episode of season four, The Monsters. You're mean, you're mean, you're a mean old man, you're you're a mean old bastard, Uh, and you scare the life out of folks, that's your thing. You're scaring me right now, and, and that's why I don't even know how, what to do. Who wants to smell Greg's finger, hey? Come on, roast me. Where are your kids? Where's all your kids, Uncle Logan? On your big birthday. Where's your old man, huh? Where's your old man? Still sucking cock at the county fair? So, Mike, excitement and expectations aside, mm-hmm. where do we find the lead characters after the break between seasons? So, it seems like we've had a bit of a time jump, right? From what from what we can gather from this first episode, a few months have passed since the finale of season three, and stuff has changed, stuff has shifted, right? So, we're on the brink of a, a, a seminal general election, by the looks of it, as well. So, that's kind of happening in the backdrop. Meanwhile, it's Logan's birthday party, and he's two days away from selling Waystar to Gojo. Meanwhile, his three kids, or the, the rats, as he's calling them, have completely finally kind of separated themselves from their father right and they are in the in the process of kind of starting up their own company they called the hundred um, uh, but everything kind of goes awry when Tom makes a phone call to Shiv suggesting that Logan is about to make a deal with Pierce and actually finally acquire Pierce and the kids drop everything and decide that they are going to ditch their plans of starting the 100 and outbid their father and acquire Pierce instead of him. And that's kind of what we see play out in this episode, right? That that it's kind that's of That's a great summary. It's the siblings yeah. versus Logan for who can buy Pierce. And as a reminder, Pierce is the other large family-owned legacy media company mm-hmm. that parallels Waystar's ATN in the sense that they are prestigious, elitist, and sort of on the liberal scale of things, where there's yes. ATN is more um, on the conservative side of things, more pandering, more flexible with the truth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pierce is the CNN to ATN's Fox News, essentially. Exactly. Right? Uh, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I find it very intriguing that this episode chooses to start with Logan's birthday party because that is a direct parallel to how we start mm-hmm. this season. In the very first episode of season one, we also begin with Logan's birthday with yes. a birthday party for his closest and dearest. And But this time, obviously, the kids, the rats, are not invited. Mm. And perhaps we should start with Logan as one of our key characters who, you know, we're going to be talking about each character, where they're at, what they're up to, and cover the episode in that way. And Logan is bored. Logan is missing his kids, I think, right? He, I mean, as the title suggests, the monsters, he's basically stuck in his own birthday party with a bunch of people he couldn't give a fuck about, right? And he calls them the monsters. He thinks they're all humorless, boring. He doesn't want to be there at his own birthday party, right? I mean, Logan is a complicated being, right? Because he wants things and then he throws the things he wanted away, but Mm -hmm. then he wants to get them back. And he's absolutely, utterly incapable of emoting. And I do, I did find it really kind of sad, to be honest, to see mm. him go around and look around at everyone and be like, why are they so fucking happy? What have they got to be happy about? These nothing people. And everything is so soulless and bland and mm-hmm. boring. There's no spice. You know, uh, frankly, the spice that Logan is missing is torturing his kids and having them throw insults at him as well, while at the same time pandering. And 
a little bit further in the episode, in the birthday party storyline, we see him essentially try to beg people around him to roast him. Which, frankly, you know, one of, as someone... One of my favorite moments. I loved it. <laughs> as someone who uses roasting as a f- expression of affection, I relate to Logan, but also there's nothing sadder than having to ask people to do that for you. It Come is, on, and then roast Nobody me. can do anything. <laughs> nobody can do anything because they're all too frightened of him. And, like, he was like, he's so thin-skinned, isn't he? Yes. Because the only one who dares say anything is Greg. Cousin <laughs> Greg suddenly has grown a pair of balls, and he's like, where are your kids, Uncle Logan? Yeah, amazing. He can't amazing. take that. He goes no. straight for the jugular. It's like, oh, where's your father? Have you seen your father in the last 10 years, Cousin Greg? Sucking cock at the county fair. <laughs> like, so yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And like you said, there is that deliberate parallel. Obviously, as we've mentioned, this is the final season of the show. And it seems like a very deliberate choice, right? That episode one is mirroring season one, episode one. Mm-hmm. In, it's, it's about Logan's birthday party. And we discussed this. Season one, episode one kind of kicked everything off because... Because Logan lost faith in Kendall as a CEO because he chose to attend his father's birthday party, yes. right? Whereas now, Kendall is actually off doing his own thing and pursuing his own career and didn't attend his father's birthday party. And Logan kind of misses it, right? You know, so Honestly, so you could never win with this man. It's like this no. man withholds affection as though it was sport. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I also get the feeling he's... Logan's feeling a little reflective in this episode as well, don't you think? I got that feeling as well, partly because I think he's... He is missing that element. I mean, everything is with him all business, right? And even with his kids, it is, you know, about 80% also always all business. But even so, I I don't quite know whether he's missing those particular punching bags Mm. or whether he is missing a connection. Because later on, and kind of let's stick with Logan here for a while, later on he goes on another parallel with the first season. He goes on a kind of night walk, followed very closely by his bodyguard a few Mm -hmm. feet away. And then they go for dinner together. And again, the saddest thing, you're my pal, you're my best pal. He tries to talk about what happens after death with his bodyguard, Mm -hmm. which, but doesn't really want to hear from him. He seems to crave a sort of connection or conversation, but absolutely has no idea how to go about it. Yeah, totally. And also like his his best pal, it's Colin, I think, isn't it? The kind of bodyguard Mm -hmm. guy doesn't really engage with conversation with him. He just kind of goes, yep, yep, yep. People, well, he can't. People. I know. Exactly. He knows enough. He exactly. knows Logan close. Like, he knows Logan well enough that he knows that he can't actually have a conversation. That is not that relationship. That no. relationship is transactional. It's employer-employee. And your employer is Logan Roy, who can absolutely, like, demolish you yeah. uh, in every single way. So you just agree with whatever he says. Yeah. And you're right. You know, like, I think there's that realization maybe seeping in that he's basically lost everyone close to him. I mean, Connor is still in his life, but Connor is basically using him as like a bank and and support for his own kind of political ambitions, right? In, um, Connor has the 1% <laughs> yeah. in, in the polls and he has the 1% in Logan's uh, life as well. Yeah, it's true. true. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, Marsha's gone. You know, Marsha is described Shopping as... Shopping in Milan forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I do think that the show has done Marsha dirty. Yeah, overall. agreed. Agreed. And I think, you know, dismissing her with this one throwaway line, delivered, by the way, by Carrie, mm. who has been elevated from just assistant to assistant advisor and friend of Logan yes. Roy, which yes. is which is a fancy new way of saying she's fucking the boss. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, which her kids very much know, you know? Yeah. And and dismissing kind of Marsha in that throwaway line, that's a thing that doesn't mm. really sit right. I mean, they have already kind of not been doing that much with her in the previous seasons. Uh, aside from season one, she's not had that much to do. And this just feels like the final stab. Totally. I, I agree. It's a it's a weird thing with, with Marsha because, you know, you get the feeling that Marsha as a character, it sort of makes sense maybe that she's gone and is, is living her life and is in Milan shopping. And she kind of got her life back on track independently after what Logan did to her in season two, right? She kind of left him and got what she needed out of that separation. I don't agree at all. I think in season one, we were presented with like such a, uh, 
a relationship built on like a trust and a kindness mm. like she was very kind to logan and very caring and she was also his trusted advisor even above the kids and we saw that you know that she would even have the goal of sort of insulting the kids directly yeah and kind of go against them and sort of protect logan from them in a way And the tension of when he started this sort of short-lived affair with Rhea Mm -hmm. and then with Carrie, the insulting part for her was not that he was fucking around. I think at that age and at that level of power, I don't think Marsha really cares that much about that element. What she says explicitly is that he was at seeking counsel with another woman. That's what offends her. That's why she finds it humiliating. I don't think it's the affair itself. It's the confidence. So I think that just like dismissing that so blatantly and kind of reducing her to sort of a uh you know an upper west side shallow i'm gonna go shopping all day kind of woman when we only get glimpses of this quite incredible life that she's led Mm -hmm. uh, before meeting logan kind of kind yeah that's that's the one thing that you know i didn't expect them to samantha jones marcia in this way i do (laughs) i feel like it's a waste of uh, of a character so so marsh is kind of out of the picture his kids are out of the picture he's yeah. he's stuck with his staff and his staff don't really they don't have a whole lot to do in this episode jerry has like a couple of lines you've got like frank and carl yeah. you've got colin the bodyguard you've got kerry who seems to be like you say his kind of closest confidant there maybe i don't know and and but but there's but there is a kind of there's just an emptiness isn't there to everything in this in this party and everything going on in logan's life and i think he's feeling that i think that's the exact right word it's empty Mm. and you know the other kind of surrogate kids are tom and cousin greg right because tom who helped logan out at the at the finale of the last season Mm -hmm. is now tommy He's been upgraded yeah. to Tommy. And, and Logan is Logue, have you noticed? Exactly. He calls him Logue. <laughs> yeah. And they have that conversation where, again, this is still a, a very openly transactional relationship, mm. relationship. And Thomas basically sacrificed his own wife and his personal life in order to get into the good graces of Logan. Mm. And Logan can't even promise him that they will, in their words, always be good. He's like, as long as we're good, we're good. But that is basically, as long as you're useful to me, Tommy, we're good. But that's not... That's not a that's not a blood bond. No. At all. I mean, you've seen what he's done to his blood relatives. So yeah. and it, what can you expect? It's that's such a classic Logan line, isn't it? We've heard him say it before, I think, that idea of if we're good, we're good, but that's that's not saying that you're ever going to stay in his good books, you know. He's not going to be exactly. loyal to you if he doesn't if he doesn't want to be kind of thing. So, yeah, I think exactly. that's really really interesting that yeah, you're right. Even the two closest kind of blood relatives to him they don't count really i mean greg no. i guess greg like you say sort of almost ticks that box of being like the one of the kids in this episode because he does sort of try to give logan a bit of a hard time he has a kind of sexual encounter and has to confess it to logan uh logan the disgusting brothers yeah logan thinks he's a bit of a dirt bag <laughs> but maybe kind of likes it greg says that he kind of smiled when he said it you know so like that's sort of the closest thing he has right now isn't it i suppose to that kind of bond with his children in greg's own words he's an he's like an honorary kid which means that he gets a plus one to the logan's <laughs> birthday party but i think greg is really changed really changed. i mean it's it's a it's a it's an evolution from the sort of aspiring dirtbag greg that we saw in season three mm. but here he's fully embraced the the dirtbag identity yeah. you know Outside of Bridget bringing Bridget random fuck to Logan's birthday party, essentially to show off success and associations and contacts and kind of this in that he has with the super rich, really problematic family. Yeah. Like, he's using that to get laid. Yeah. And there is no... Consi- like, he's now, I think, sort of fully learned how to be rich. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that Tom was trying to teach him? Like, he's aligned himself with Tom. They're going out, you know, and he... He does seem to be uh, completely transformed into someone who's only guided by self-interest. Like, he always sort of was, but he was bumbling around it. Agreed. And now he's like, no, fuck it. 
that this is all I am. This is all I'm doing. Another one on the on the roster. Mm-hmm. Another notch on his bedpost. He has like he has the thing about Greg that I find really interesting that becomes very apparent in this episode. Greg has no class. Absolutely. Of his own. Yeah. Like he is, and I'm not talking about kind of money or you know power even because these are like outside of logan none of these people really have power they're adjacent to power greg is just tacky in his approach Mm -hmm. like in his approach to being in these rooms you know bringing this girl who just does not understand what even room that she's in and not being able to even explain that to her of you know having sex with this girl in the armory and then like freaking out and kind of telling Logan about it. Mm -hmm. Like there is something so tactless about him and I think it sort of blinded him. And I'm kind of wondering whether this season will be punishing for Greg. Yeah. Because at this point, I kind of want him to lose something a little bit because this little slimy cockroach has never lost anything throughout the last three seasons. Yeah, he's turning into a real dirtbag and douchebag, isn't he? You know, he's always been a kind of slightly douchey stoner bro, I guess, from the very first time we see him. But you're right, he's kind of gone one, one level up I think at this point and and we talked about how for me and for both of us I think Greg was a slightly weaker element in the third season where they didn't quite know what to do with him but I quite like this idea of maybe they're going to double down on turning Greg into a bit of a dick in this season and that's kind of interesting you know that we're, we've watched Greg Greg's journey across these four seasons of sort of selling his soul for you know part of that logan part of that roy power i suppose Mm. um he seems to have lost any kind of moral or value this was the guy who back in seasons one and two was kind of like i don't know man i'm not so cool with you know atn and this kind of thing and now you feel like now he wouldn't be in that like that way at all about it you know he used to draw the line at nazis and racism (laughs) and i think maybe now that line has sort of been erased a little bit it's like a pencil drawn line well now there's that moment when you you know, the bodyguard Colin is going to go and tell his date to leave and wipe her phone. And he just sort of says, yeah, I'll just leave you to do that. I don't want to see what happens in Guantanamo, you know? And it's like, oh my God, what a line, you know? It's, uh, it's pretty, I'm, he's pretty nasty now. I guess we, we should come back to Tom when we talk about Tom and Shiv and where yeah. Tom is. But what's happening with the Sibs? Let, well, let's talk about the Sibs because I think in some ways... This was a real relief for me. I was like, oh, I'm so glad really? that we're seeing the Sibs together doing something. And of course, they're all fucking idiots. They're still idiots <laughs> as as this as as we see play out in this episode. But you know, what one of the things that I kind of wanted to see, we talked about this at the end of season 3 was that I wanted to see the status quo kind of changed up a little bit. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. it looks like that has happened. You know that we mm-hmm. we've got the three kids who are going it alone. Um you know against their dad they've got these kind of plans to st- to launch this company the hundreds they've got what- a deck they've got a they've deck they've got a financial advisor they've Who's got investors T- i love Tully. it um, Tully jelly belly Love it, love it. Um, I love that they described the hundred as Substack meets Masterclass meets The Economist meets The New Yorker. <laughs> I'd describe. <laughs> yeah. Also, I love that I love it. it's The New Yorker as well. Like, is that a yeah. little nod to Jeremy Strong's New Yorker? Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of interesting. But 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 they they sort of appear to be in an all right place. You know, Shiv comes in, she gives Kendall a little, or gives Roman a little kiss, hello. They're all kind of being nice to each other they've got this plan they've got this deck they're about to present something to some potential investors and of course it all fall, falls apart so quickly when they they get a whiff of being able to screw over their dad and do something different right it's very it's very fascinating because it is both progress it's two step forwards one step back because they're all working together and kind of kind of at their best, you yeah. know? Shiv has been sneaky, non-committal, and trying to do two things at once that are in direct opposition with one another because she's a dumbass. Uh, Kendall is talking big shit, but not actually doing much except like 
apparently flying around the country having very serious conversations with very serious people but you know not like hunkering down and working because and in his own words found this very very fascinating he says you know he's an addict he needs the big highs he needs this huge obsessive thing that he can zero in in on focus that will consume him otherwise he will drift away Mm. roman seemingly has gone to therapy i wonder if we'll see that because in this one scene we see him a actually doing the boring legwork yep you know looking at decks mm-hmm. uh having the conversation with their financial advisor kind of like plowing through and keeping the others in check he you know calls out shiv on her talks about talks with other people that would interfere with their business he's like ready to go and he's genuinely like super excited about their idea about the hundred yeah. you know at one point i love this energy of you know i just think it's like why has nobody done this before this is the thing that freaks me out it's so genius it's so good we're amazing but then there is this one thing where shiv gets a call from tom right and she comes in and she's kind of flustered and angry and you mm-hmm. can see that in her and he just goes wait 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 keep the investors in the other room like what's happening what's going on he's prioritizing her well-being instead of you know what's like growth for my little chaos goblin king i love it i love and it he's so the much. only one who seems to genuinely be invested in this idea because, oh my God, Mike, they pivot so quickly. I almost got whiplash. Like suddenly this thing that they've been working on for months, suddenly Shiv and Kendall are both like, oh, we can fuck over dad. Oh, let's do that instead. It seems smart to throw away months of work and conversations to instead buy a legacy media company for $10 billion. Yeah. That is absolutely sensible. And Roman is the only one who's like, I feel like Kendall wants to fuck dad. Shiv wants to fuck Tom. I'm the only one who wants to start a business and not fuck anyone. Yes. So, like, what's happening, Sid? So, it's so interesting the way they've positioned Roman compared to the other two in this episode. Because Roman always felt like the kind of slightly weirdo screw-up. But he's so not anymore, right? It is 100% Shiv and Kendall. Even, and like, we should talk about costumes too, because I think even yes. the way that these three are presented in this episode. Oh, I'm I think so is happy so you've got them obsessed with costumes. Well, this like, is it now. Anna, you, so got it in, you got it in my brain after last Tell week. Tell me what you notice about the costumes. Well, the. Roman looks incredible, right? Yeah. I think Roman looks the best he's ever looked. And Shiv. Not to be mean, but sort of looks the worst she's looked. And I think Kendall as well, you know? I don't know. I feel like there are some deliberate choices with the way Kendall and Shiv are dressed. What do you think? Absolutely. So I'm really glad you mentioned the Shiv thing because I noticed this straight away. And I think it's the hair. Bear with me here. I've got a theory. So in season one, her hair is sort of like wavy, right? Because she's more free She's more the the liberal or as Ken calls her, the yummy dummy demi. And... Then in season two and three, she's got the girl boss bob cut. Her hair is straightened. She wears pantsuits and kind of really strict lines and kind of pared down uh, colors. And then in this one, we get a mix, right? She's Mm. still wearing kind of suits, but they're a little bit in warmer colors. And her hair looks bad. And I think it looks bad because she's got the cut but it's wavy and messy. And you know that they they wouldn't allow one of their lead characters to look messy if it wasn't for any reason. And I think she's just coming undone. Yes. In In this episode, you know, we'll talk a little bit about her conversation with Tom later on, but like there's so much stuff going on with her, personal, professional, and she hasn't dealt with any of it. No. Like she refuses to talk about it. So I think the hair is kind of showing us that she is not in the right place of mind to be doing any such decisions. Even the massive pivot to buying peers is manic. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely... There is a, a true manic moment from Shiv yes. that I've never really seen her do where she lets out this weird laugh like after she screwed over, after they've succeeded and they've bought Pierce yes. for $10 mil- yes. billion. Dollars. Yes. She sort of goes, ha, 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 like this. And it's like, yes. what has happened to Shiv? Like you say, she's she's a bit unhinged all of a yes. sudden, I think, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I yeah. think there is this laugh of, oh my God, we've maybe just done something amazing or maybe that was a massive mistake and we actually have no idea what we're doing and we've oh my god we've just spent 10 billion dollars <laughs> like, spent 10 billion dollars on, la- on an old lady and some newspapers but do you know what another <laughs> thing that i really noticed in this episode that i've not noticed so much in succession before is how much they are talking about 
how much money they've actually got as well. Like that comes into it with yes. all four kids, in, including Connor in this episode, where they actually say, yes. 100 million, Connor, that's a lot of money. Will you still be rich after you spent that? And with yeah. this, you know, there's a lot of conversations of, okay, how much have we got? We're going to get like 2 billion each from selling to Gojo. We're going to spend 10 billion on peers. And, and there's that speech Roman gives when he's like, we're talking about $1,000 to make a million. We're talking about 500 yeah. million to make half a billion. Like yes. suddenly money has value in this episode it feels like for the first time as well which is kind of interesting such a great point yeah and even the way that roman talks about um telly their financial advisor or broker i guess you know he's like he's very dismissive and and cutting Mm. but the point is he's literally with every phone call with every suggestion he is thinking about also oh well he's saying that because he's gonna get this commission or this commission so like i don't trust this because he's also thinking about profit and about what he gains and even the fact that he's considering that that he's already like automatically crunching those numbers in his head Mm. is a radical shift in how they approach money and again roman is like the only one who's thinking about that because shiv and Ken are still talking about billions as though they're like monopoly money. Exactly that, exactly that. And I think maybe that realisation is finally starting to hit them that they can't just rely on their dad for just infinite money anymore. Like they actually Mm -hmm. have an amount and... I mean, have they just made a massive mistake in spending ten billion? That's that's the feeling I get by the end of this episode, right? Is that holy so, shit? Are they yeah. going to bankrupt themselves potentially? <laughs> like, so this is bad. what this is what one of the things that didn't quite work with me. Yeah. And and you know I'm I have total faith in Jesse Armstrong and the writers to lead this to somewhere interesting. I do find it bizarrely uh, repetitive that they bring back peers, right? in order for that to be the acquisition. And, you know, we were talking about this shortly before recording. I am not 100% clear on how the business of this is working. Because, so, Logan is selling Waystar to Gojo. But he's also, and this is within the story happening within the next 48 hours, right? So it's imminent. It's like at signing point. That means that the kids who each have 5% of Waystar and are able to cash that out will probably get what a couple billion out of that sale yes but that money that they've now promised to pierce is dependent on the sale of waystar to gojo yes which is happening but then logan has also decided that he won again wants to buy pierce and while that acquisition took up the entirety of season two and did not go through now it goes through in a night yes and even the kids come through at the 11th hour and manage to outbid their dad again within a night. Uh, yeah. And like the bringing back of these characters and even the plot point of acquiring peers just seems like it, it seems a bit repetitive. Yeah. Right? But I want to see where it goes, but I do remember thinking, why are we treading on? in this pool again when it was like pretty definitively closed in season two I sort yes I sort of know what you mean I think that for one thing I think you know it's really hammering in this idea that this is Logan's absolute lifelong obsession they even mention that don't they that that like they're like this is dad's lifelong obsession wouldn't it be funny if we swooped in and screwed him over Uh, because there's even a mention of that in season three isn't there he mentions Pierce and his kids are like really Mm -hmm. we're going back to that well again like Pierce you know and there is it it almost feels a bit meta that line where it's like we're really going back to that storyline again and I know what you mean you're right like it it's all very easy suddenly you know and there's like a throwaway line isn't there that Tom says where he sort of says Nan has sort of lost faith in in Pierce. Um, you know, she says even the left are turning on yeah. them now, um, and she's ready to let it go. You're right. Like I think it. You're right, and I wonder if it's doing that thing, that kind of last season thing, where it's sort of tying up every little loose end. I wonder if it's going to do that. I wonder if we're going to find ourselves yeah. revisiting old characters and story threads. My my like, I might be completely wrong about this, but my guess is that we're not going to see Nan again. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was it. That was yeah. kind of, it It tied up 
the whole Pierce story, you mm-hmm. know, in this episode, and that's going to be it for her, sort of thing. Uh, like you said, it's really hard to know at this point, you know, whether mm-hmm. this was a kind of a good good writing decision or a bad one. But I know what you mean. It it all happens very very quickly, given that that was the entire arc of season mm-hmm. two. Yeah, and yeah. I did find it really funny. I mean, Cherry Jones, a gem, oh. and the I did find that her performance this time round compared to season two was a was a bit more broad because yeah. it's, it felt more satirical of this kind of you know old money liberals who were disgusted and appalled by the notion or the idea of money or discussing money before what oh outrageous i know at certain points you know they're throwing away they're throwing out offers like you know eight billion nine billion ten billion she's like this is disgusting. This is disgusting. So upset. <laughs> I, I shall consider it. There's something about this whole episode. It's like what I was saying about Shiv's like manic laugh too. Like everything feels a little bit heightened. It's it. Yeah. It feels quite broad in yeah. a weird way. I think doesn't it? It's directed by Mike Milo, uh, Mark Mylod, who has previously directed a whole bunch of successful. Yeah, he's episodes. like one of the as a director, he's the key creative yeah. person uh, directorially for the whole show. Yeah, and 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 also since season three, he's also directed the menu, the film, the menu yes. as well, which is pretty cool. Again, thematically and tonally quite similar in a lot of ways, right? But you like, I've noticed a few directorial decisions in this that felt a bit different. Like, okay, that, that weird. Did you notice that one shot where Shiv? opens the doors and she yes. walks in towards Nan and the camera is very up close in her face and kind of follows her backwards. I don't know, I just felt like we hadn't seen a shot quite like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was very big and in your face and n- mm-hmm. not something that it feels like we've seen happen that many times on this show before. And yeah, there was something about the whole vibe of it and the performances that they felt kind of bigger and broader and Cherry Jones definitely was going for it a bit more with the character of Nan. I think Jeremy I did, Strong... I did really enjoy it, but it, it felt a bit different, I think. I think yeah. you've got a great point there and I think Jeremy Strong also felt a little bit broader and how... I mean, Kendall doesn't get that much to do this episode. He's very no. much kind of supporting and piping in occasionally, but he he's kind of doing it's almost like he's cosplaying Kendall right you know at one point he's like oh you know refers to himself as the fearless fighter of the good fight Mm. and it's like Kendall Kenny sweetie that's (laughs) you know that's early season three you're you're good you're done you had a full nervous breakdown since then okay well that's right (laughs) and uh, yeah and I guess it's is it is it consistent or not because in a way it's like we do see Kendall flip-flop don't we between this manic overconfident douchebag yeah. to this like shell of a man who's lost everything and he that has kind of been his trajectory and at the moment he's got his siblings by his side he's about mm-hmm. to screw over his dad he's probably on cloud nine so in a way it kind of makes sense to me that he's back in kind of good tweet bad tweet kendall mode almost you know but um but we don't like you say we don't actually it feels like we don't get much of Kendall in this episode. It's it, no. it's much more Shiv and Roman. And a lot of Tom, too. Shall we talk about Shiv and Tom's uh, yeah. conversations? Well, I yeah, I have I have questions about Tom. I like, think we all have questions about he's, Tom. He, he <laughs> is acting really interestingly in this as well, because so he's obviously he you know, he screwed them all over. He screwed over Shiv at the end of season three. He 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 you know, he betrayed her. Where we're at now, we see him for the first time. He's just about to go for, or he's just been for a dinner with Naomi Pierce, right? Mm -hmm. And he chooses to phone Shiv to tell her about it. And what do you think is the reason behind that phone call? Because then he doesn't tell Logan or anyone that he spoke to Shiv. That's the fascinating part. That's the thing. Is he negging Shiv? Is he trying to hurt her feelings? Or is he trying to help her out and he's giving her a little hint there you know to kind of like i i'm re- i i found tom's intentions really interesting in this particular episode and where he's positioned you know i think he's really murky mm. and i think we're perhaps seeing for the first time fully just how much of a turncoat he is <laughs> yeah because so in previous seasons right we've seen tom and shiv have this sort of sort of very honest relationship or a mockery of an mm. honest and transparent relationship where they would call each other all the time with business info. Yeah. You know, because Tom was in rooms that Shiv wasn't in. And Shiv was in a position that Tom wasn't in as kind of a a direct uh a direct Roy. And I thought the scene might be sort of 
and attempt to do that again. Yeah. But obviously, the trust is completely broken. So, and Shiv is, I think, teetering on the edge. So she interprets that call as not I've had a dinner with Naomi Pierce. Mm-hmm. Take from that what I'm telling you. The Pierce acquisition is going through, which is what she does eventually, but kind of it takes it too long to get to there. Instead, she hears that, oh, you're fucking Naomi Pierce. Oh, is that what you're doing? Well, I'm going to tell Kendall. And now there's going to be two of us that are going to upset. And like this whole, now it's going to get all tangled in emotions and Mm -hmm. stuff. So she reacts very emotionally and creates like a whole huff. But then he understands that he, he sort of fucked up towards Logan because he's, again, given this information, I think, sort of sneakily. And yeah. I'm not quite sure. I think he was trying to rekindle that we have a trust, at least like in a business sense. Mm-hmm. But obviously he broke that massively. But also I think there's a little bit of, I'm I'm going to tell you about any woman that I'm seen with. So, you know, but then she throws in his face that he's been dating models and whatnot. Mm. So clearly he's not doing that with every woman that he like goes out with. No, no. So this one feels special. So you're right. He probably was trying to give her the tip off that this Pierce acquisition is happening. Right. That does seem more likely to be the case. Maybe he did also get a little bit of also glee of telling her he's been on a date with with somebody. I don't know, but like, yeah. Do you, you think it was a date? Well, no, it probably wasn't, was it? It probably wasn't. I, don't think it, I just don't. And and, and I again, just, I like, mean, I know Naomi is messy, but I don't think she's. I don't think Tom is her type. No, and let's just say that. No, and also Tom isn't being. No, throughout this whole episode, Tom isn't being in the way that Greg is being, for example. He's not being all like, oh, let me tell you about my conquest. You know, even when Shiv says to him, you, li- Except- you look really good. And he's like, no, I don't. And like, he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's being that kind of braggy, goofy Tom in this episode. I You're think. right. Except for one moment, which is very explicit in a Tom kind of way. And it's directed at Greg. It's not at Shiv. After Greg tells him about his hookup, he literally gets very close up to his face. He's looking up because Nicholas Brown is so tall. He's like, did you rummage to fruition? Oh, it's my, it's my favorite line of the and episode. even the disgusting brother feels uncomfortable. He's like, uh, I'm not going to tell you, bro. I know. It feels like a crossing a line. It's so good. Did you rummage to fruition? I love it so much. But yeah, I think... But it's interesting. But again, like, Greg is being very, way disgusting brothers. And Tom's like, look, we said that ironically. Kind I think of you're thing. right. You know, like, I don't know. He's, he has a different kind of attitude. He's, he's sadder. Yeah, he's sadder. I think there's a sadness in him. And I think maybe also he's trying to take himself more seriously now as Logan's right-hand man, maybe, or something. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to channel his inner Jerry a bit more or something. I don't know. Well, he's lost kind of his ace, mm. right? His actual, like, connection to the Roy family was Shiv, the wife, as he calls her. Yeah. And that's, you know, gone. That's on its way out. So actually, he is out on his own. Mm. Yes, and this is, I think he's he's trying to figure out his where his loyalty should lie, where where is best for him, right? Because you're right, you know, he sits down with Logan and he's like, are me and you going to be okay if me and Shiv get divorced, right? And obviously Logan gives him that very murky answer of like, not necessarily. And yeah, so I think Tom is worried yeah. about who he should be loyal to at this point in time, I suppose. You know who Tom should be loyal to? He should be loyal to Mondale. Oh, Mondale. That is it. Yeah, I know. Mondale. I worry about Mondale. What a sweet, what I a know, sweet baby. I know, I um, know. But yeah, Shiv and Tom's marriage. This is a weird, sad mm. thing, right? So they, they're they obviously in, I think Tom calls it a trial separation, right? At this point. Yes. So we don't really know how long it's been since they last have sort of seen each other. Obviously, they have multiple phone calls throughout this episode. A lot of the time, it's Tom on loudspeaker and it's just talking business. He's just Logan's mouthpiece, essentially, right? Exactly. Um, but then they have that really strange scene at the end, which I just can't quite figure out, like, this final scene they have on the bed when... She basically tells him she wants a divorce at this point, right? Yes, exactly. He's sort of sad, but she seems sadder. And then he's like, shall I try and make love to you or something like that, right? So and bizarre. it's all just such so, a weird scene, isn't it? So it's very scenes of a marriage. But, and I thought yeah. this second time I watched this episode, in the moment where he's like almost kind of sweetly says, oh, should we have sex? And she sort of looks mm. at him almost 
almost with a with a smile. I was wondering, yeah. even though they've been set separated, have they just been hooking up? Maybe, yeah, maybe. Because I'm like, if it's it, if not, that is a weird thing to say to your estranged wife who you betrayed. Yeah. And through to the wolves and haven't, you know, seen really in several months at least. It's very odd. I can't quite work out the dynamic. Like, does he want to make it work? I think he does. But also, I think he, does. he sort of knows that maybe he's in a better position than her or something. I don't know. Like, there's just, there's this element of him being quite almost, you know, him him offering to have sex with her as well almost feels a bit like he's talking down to Shiv a little bit, just being like, because he's the one who she said is looking good and he's sleeping with models and he's in, he's Logan's right-hand man and he's like, all right, if you want to leave me there, it's fine. Do you want to, do you want me to have sex with you one more time? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to stay? And like, I don't know, he's also being quite kind of, I'm the bigger guy about it, you know, in his yeah. head, you know, I don't know. But there's also this devastating line that he delivers when he says, you know, do you really want to have a full accounting of all the pain in our marriage? Right, exactly. Where, you know, the and I'm thinking of this scene and so many others, every season we've had these absolutely devastating scenes between Shiv and Tom. Yeah. Their relationship before they got married and after is always punctuated with these scenes of sort of extreme openness and that openness is very hurtful like they're constantly hurting each other and that culminating at the end of season three right but and this is what i found very revealing is that he is he's asking her he's telling her like shouldn't we talk about what happened Mm. which tells me that they haven't like shiv has completely closed down and even you know when she wanders in and she you know, is is getting some clothes and then sort of throws away all these stuff, all these accusations about him and models. I don't think she really cares, but she just wants to sort of jab and poke and stab him in any way possible. But she is so fundamentally hurt and betrayed that she's lashing out like a kid yeah. and just refuses to talk about it, which is just really, really sad. Like this is, they already had kind of a, a shitty marriage anyway they're not a great fit but they were staying together and kept being drawn to one another kind of a, for some reason that i don't fully get yeah yeah exactly but then here this is just so it's a shiv just will not talk and i think no. unless she's willing to talk there's nothing that can be done except them hurting each other further and it's fucking devastating that's right he is always like this kind of raw open wound with her in these moments isn't he and Mm -hmm. she is tends to be the opposite she's kind of closed off um but also she does look genuinely sad like maybe the saddest we've seen shiv look i think at Mm -hmm. that moment at the end of that episode as well so it's a really it's a very complex like situation there between the two of them, isn't it? It's really interesting. And also yeah. just visually as well, the shot of them laying on their bed, just yeah. full, you know, fully clothed and just holding hands and not looking at each other. Oh my god. I know. Oh my I god. And like it's... for for anyone who's gone through a separation, a divorce, or a big breakup. Just yeah. fucking daggers to the heart, man. Even though they're both kind of disgusting people. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's something about it that is sort of civil. And that sort of yeah. makes it sadder that they're just like, okay, well, we tried. And like you say, they hold each other's hand and just lie there. And it's like, oh, it's it's heartbreaking. And like you say, even though they're both monsters, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> you know what I found to be the saddest moment? When Shiv throws a Tom oh, I heard that you and Greg call each other the disgusting brothers now. Mm. And he, it's, there is no more bluster. He's like, we just go for drinks sometimes. I know. That's it. He, That's he, has, it. he has nothing left in him in terms of that sort of banter with her or mm. anything, does he? Like, he's, he's done with it. It's the same on that phone call with, about Naomi Pierce. Like, she's getting very like, oh, you fucking her, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, I'm just telling you what's happening, Shiv. We've gone for a social. It's not sexual. It's social. And he's very just like straight down the line with her. And that's it. Isn't yeah. It? Which is kind of yeah. riling her up even more, I think, as well. So it's interesting. Yeah. And and this is the thing, like, who ultimately sort of comes out on top? I mean, I guess we can talk about that in, at the end when we wrap up. But, you know, Shiv has just done this, you know in theory amazing thing of like she's bought pierce and well she said the biggest number exactly exactly all they did was say a bigger number and i do like i i kind of felt 
uh, a little bit trepidatious about that win at the end of the episode because a nothing pans out for these guys like it just doesn't and i kind of agree with logan at the end as much as it comes from a place of like are you fucking joking i've just been outbid by Mm -hmm. these stupids no Mm -hmm. it's from a you've just gone up you've just said a number (laughs) you've just said the highest number you could do and they probably can't even realistically afford that no that it's coming from a place of like we must kill dad instead of is this a good business decision because again none of them know fuck all about business and, uh, roman was the only one that sort of knew that i think but roman went along yeah. with his brother with his big brother and sister and just went along with it in the end which is really sad because yeah you're absolutely right logan yes logan was beaten but that's because he was really hardballing right you know he was like let's go for six bill and they're like that's pretty insulting yeah. but all right you know and like yeah he you get the thing he would never have gone that high he has too much pride to go exactly. that high right whereas yeah they just yeah. they didn't even think about it did they like you know kendall just shoves on an extra half a billion just for the sake of it <laughs> it's like because okay, it means that. nothing <laughs> idiots literally means nothing absolute idiots yeah um should we quickly talk about connor as well i mean there's not oh yeah there's not a huge amount to say except that i do think that it's going to be interesting that running in the background of all this is this impending election right mm-hmm. and you know shiv makes that you know they're all making these comments that it's going to be this big climate shifting um yes you know election it, you know shiv calls says it that it's 1933 yes exactly exactly <laughs> yes so, assumedly, that's because you've got this pseudo-fascist running for the Jared Republican Menken. president. Yes. 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 And yes. I think, you know, Jared Menken, who we saw in season three, who Shiv really hated and really rallied against and ATN are supporting, and he's played by Justin Kirk, who is a just unbelievably impeccable actor. Yeah. I love him when he shows he's up. Brilliant. And I think he he's going to resurface. So I think kind of I think you're right. The the election, all of the tidbits that Chiff has dropped, the fact that Menken will resurface will maybe give Connor something bigger to do. And I wonder if Connor, who's sort of been teetering around the one percent, yeah, and as he says, like he'll never win, but that one percent is enough to keep him in the conversation. I wonder if Connor will have some sort of devastating faux pas. Mm-hmm. on a political and social level that will just just annihilate him politically but also then have a ripple effect on logan yeah maybe because you know we we were talking we're we're talking about kind of the the titles of the episodes are often very scrutinized by critics mm-hmm. because they show us a little bit of you know the the makeup of the season and what's coming up close yeah and i find it very interesting that connor's wedding is the third episode of the season so is i think it? that's gonna come pretty quickly as opposed to you know previous episodes, the, the wedding finale. episodes yeah. yeah wedding episodes have usually been kind of towards the end like the penultimate or the or the final episode and here it's like really early on so i don't know i think i th- i have like my my like succe- succession spidey senses are tingling and saying that's Connor's gonna fuck up bad mm-hmm. because I think that's also the natural way to finish off with that character. He's just been kind of like doing whatever he wants his entire life. And now he's insisted on putting himself in a race with Shiv said this to him when he first started like running for office. He's paying tons of money to very serious people yeah. who have absolutely no allegiance or faith in him. They're just, you know, taking his money. And he will just keep pouring money into this fruitless campaign. Yeah. I think he's going to fuck up bad. I think he's going to do something that he cannot cycle back from. I agree. I agree. And it's just every moment that he says something, you're just like, oh, God, this is going to go very badly. Again, like his his thinking about spending $100 million just to secure him that 1% um, or else he's going to drop below the 1% is scary i think and also then when he proposes like when he um suggests to willa <laughs> that they they have a wedding that's a little bit more a little bit more hoopla he says let's get married under the statue of liberty let's have a rapper let's have bum fights <laughs> paul willa is just like uh, because he wants the free press basically he wants the right press, yeah and also yeah, can yeah. we just say willa's disdain for connor <laughs> is now not even like disguised no it's just she's just like 
I mean, I've made my bed and I'm sleeping in it. But seriously, seriously, can you be more of an idiot, Connor? Will, Will is brilliant in this episode, actually, I think. Cause she's oh, so I funny. I think she's the way that she kind of sort of tries to sort of... Um, uh, understand and pity him but it always just sounds so scathing but like when he talks about losing his one percent to the others they're trying to squeeze him out and she's like yeah it's so unfair like they've got all the other percents why did they need your one percent <laughs> like, she's really great i think <laughs> and she's also like just well you know spend it if you want as long as you're yeah, still rich still after rich, you right? spend the other hundred mil <laughs> It's a a very good question, though. It's like, how much money will you still have left over after spending a hundred mil? You know, that's amazing. I do think it's sort of, you know, going back to your point about money, I think that the naming how much it costs to just have 1% of the polls, like, you know, we don't need to get into it. And I don't think, you know, either of us is particularly an expert on this, but I was reading the other day that it now costs about a billion dollars to run a successful presidential campaign in the States. So like the outrageous amount of money that political candidates need to need to spend to run a campaign. I think kind of Connor's candidacy is also a very obvious kind of very active way of poking fun and satirizing the amount of money and resource that is spent on something that is, especially if you have no real chance of winning like him, yeah just an utter waste of money and resources absolutely it's so interesting isn't it so i'm really excited to see how that is all going to pan out because yes is this still just kind of going along for sort of a fun comic b plot or is it going to be something bigger and i i I hope it's going to become something bigger this season yeah me too i think we've spoken about all of the characters by now but yeah but what did you think of the episode overall do you know what i I actually loved it. I I found myself really... And maybe it was partly because of the excitement of Succession is back. But um, the the decisions that it had made, I appreciated. I actually Mm -hmm. loved that it... I think this. I think this is the first time that we've had like a big time jump between two Mm -hmm. seasons, right? It's not just sort of continued on. And I like that it's kind of put our characters, it's positioned them in different places in different ways it's changed the stakes a little bit it feels like there are stakes now because these kids might run out of money and i like that you've got this kind of weird dynamic between shiv and tom that is kind of the one that's the thing that's kind of joining these two sides together so i really like the way it shaped up all the dynamics like you said it it is a bit broader and sillier this episode maybe than I was expecting and and the way in which they kind of brought back the Nan storyline and it was all just kind of done within one episode was kind of an interesting weird choice. However, I loved Cherry Jones in this. I thought she was so <laughs> funny. Like I really enjoyed again like so over the top but all the stuff about like I drink peasant wine and and uh oh you know when she goes, "Oh, a bidding, it's like a bidding war. It's disgusting." What does she say? She's like seven eight nine and roman's like and she goes whatever next and roman's like hmm yes whatever next what comes after nine like (laughs) i really enjoyed all those moments and i really enjoyed the evolution of roman roy i liked seeing Mm -hmm. where roman was at in this episode so generally i had a really fun time with this episode and i liked where all the characters were at um and i'm really excited to see what happens next but what about you what 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 were your thoughts so i'm a little bit more trepidatious and you've kind of echoed um mm. all a, a lot of my reservations with this episode in particular like it's not dulling my excitement at all but i did find the broadness uh a little bit sort of too much in a sense i was yeah. laughing out loud but it was just a like too early perhaps in the season i i think the nan appearance as funny as it was and the Pierce storyline kind of coming back just felt a little bit too shoehorned for me in a sense and very quick and the thing the the kind of the main criticism that I've heard and read a lot about succession is that people don't seem to sort of change that it's the same cyclical storylines and characters kind of doing the same thing in circles and I had this sort of fear that perhaps it was it was doing that with the Pierce storyline because for both Logan, come on, man. And for the kids mm. to just do a 180, well, two of the three sips to do a 180 and go after this thing that they didn't want to do. Again, can you learn? Can you just one, 
just one like smart decision that's all i'm asking for you'd mm-hmm. like do whatever else the fuck you want with your life <laughs> just one just one iota of intelligence please and i really feel that like the Kendall is sort of you know paddling in the same pool that he was in season three shiv is completely regressing to kind of a state of unhinged uh, emotions that we haven't seen her before. And I think there might be something quite big coming for her because she's so coiled up. And I say this with absolute awe for Sarah Snook's performance. I don't think I've ever seen anyone play someone so full to the brim of very intense emotions and feelings and anger Mm -hmm. and working so hard to not express them and to not confront them and to absolutely run away in the other direction when she has to commit to anything, including a business that she's been working on. You know, she keeps, she's the kind of a character who keeps saying she wants things. And then when she's offered that thing, she literally shits all over it and then runs away from it and calls it stupid. Yeah. You know, which is a fascinating kind of character to, to see play out. And I think he or she's just, teetering on the edge really intensely and like i love the evolution of roman perhaps a little bit fast in this episode again we haven't seen everything that's gone on in the in the jump but it was like it's a big jump from roman you know absolutely shell-shocked on the floor having just kind of cut off ties with his with his dad and his family business to now being like the most sensible of the sibs. I'm like, okay, I love this, but also maybe, I don't know, like a little shot of Roman going to therapy maybe. Will they explain this? This would make sense. But here I'm just like, okay, what happened in between? Yeah. Let's find out. Um, And then, yeah, I I was sort of by the end of the episode thinking like, okay, I trust the series, but I was a little bit, I wasn't like, five stars on this episode in particular no i i I totally get all your reservations i think that's all really valid and it's it's a show that takes so much time and care over giving us these kind of intricacies of characters and the way they shift and change and the minutiae of it usually and you're Mm. right giving us this massive jump and having characters suddenly act quite differently all of a sudden is almost a bit jarring i think Mm. i think it's interesting as well that there are quite a lot of cast members listed you know in this that didn't appear in this episode too so you know fisher stevens is still supposed to be a kind of regular cast member as hugo he wasn't Mm -hmm. in this episode jerry barely got anything to do or say in this episode got one line alexander skarsgård is listed as a regular cast member we haven't seen him yet so i think the gojo stuff's going to be interesting isn't it and and of Mm -hmm. course as you've mentioned justin kirk as well as 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 menken i am also listed as a regular cast member for this season as well so it's going to be interesting to see what happens beyond this first episode that was i guess a little bit more chamber pc where we've just got this the 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 kids and the birthday party and that's kind of it right um the, the other interesting thing i was thinking about when we started in logan's birthday party is i wonder how much time has passed across this whole show has it only been a year since season one episode one in the world of succession is this just his next birthday do you think i wonder i mean that's a great question and if it's only been a year no wonder (laughs) they're all having nervous breakdowns (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) jesus like kendall's tried to kill his dad three times He's become a national personality slash laughing stock. He's had, he's done a murder, mm-hmm. he, a manslaughter, I should say. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, gone to rehab again. He's dropped off the wagon. He's had numerous affairs. Yep. Uh, definitely lost contact with his kids. Yeah. In one way, killed a bunny. Which, you know, terrible behavior as well. Yeah, yeah. Shiv yep. has gotten married and now is getting divorced and <laughs> oh, has yeah, gone through true. like two careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roman has gone through two girlfriends and like one weird affair, sort of affair with Jerry. He's been, been in a dis- hostage situation. He's crashed a rocket. He's like, he's oh my God, <laughs> so much activity. Yeah, and like Logan true. has had so much stuff happen. He had like a stroke. He's gone through a wife and two different girlfriends slash advisors affairs. Yeah. He's tried and not... Uh, 
and not uh, accomplish like the acquisition of peers twice. Yeah. He's now selling his company. He survived a bear hug, a vote of no confidence. Mm-hmm. And like, Jesus Christ, you know, a year? Huh. No wonder these people are screwed up. I cannot like I'm getting exhausted just talking about it. Like, I know. Living no. it. Now that you now that you mentioned all that stuff, it must be longer than a year, right? It, he must have had other birthdays in between that we just haven't seen. I imagine, right? I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right though. Maybe it has only been a year. And I think this episode just made me feel even more confident in the fact that I think Logan might die at the end of the show. Just mm. his whole, like, where do you think we go afterwards yeah. conversation. He's suddenly contemplating his life, his decisions he's made. He's being very reflective. Mm. I, I feel like it's building up to that, maybe. You do know? you know what I think we might see? I'm going to say this. For, I'm going to say this on the record. This is my prognostication for the end of Logan Roy. I think we're going to get a shot in the same way as like the Godfather Part Three, where we see Michael Corleone. Spoiler alert for the Godfather Part Three: <laughs> the shop where we see Michael Corleone, an old man, no family, dies by just falling off a chair, yeah. and he's by himself, and no one's around him. That I is think it. Log- we we will see Logan's death in a very unceremonious, unemotional way and he will be alone yeah i completely agree and he will die knowing that he's pushed everyone who ever loved him away you know season one episode one opens with logan getting out of bed urinating on the floor and marcia helping him i wonder Mm -hmm. if it will mirror it if it will end with him getting up in the night and then collapsing and dying or something like that you know that would be beautiful it could be something like that couldn't it let's see let's see i'm so excited um what uh, what we've got 10 episodes so we've got nine more weeks of this um let's i can't wait let's uh anna let's finish we're going to finish by doing some of these each week aren't we we're going to start with our favorite lines our favorite one-liners have you got any favorite quotes from this episode oh god i've got so many (laughs) outside of the did you rummage to fruition which would be my um my follow-up i think my top line is roman just saying great let's go talk to an old lady about newspapers thanks so much and it's just Kieran Culkin's delivery, which is so like he's also saying that to appears. Honestly, it's like, like it's he does not want to be there. He does not want to spend ten billion on this. Rome, uh, every line Roman has in this is gold because it's it's very Roman, but also he's he's right in most of the stuff he says as well, right? And yeah, I love that line as well. Every and his little his little comments back to Nan as she's you know spewing all of her bullshit and he is just like rolling yes. his eyes. You know, it's so yes. good. I loved everything. What about uh, you? I mean, again, I had written down, did you rummage to fruition? It is my favorite. Um, But I also love, I love Shiv talking about, you know, when they find out that Logan is buying Pierce. And obviously the first thing Kendall says is, is he doing this to, you know, to to torture us? And Shiv goes, "Mm, he's a sociopath, but he wouldn't be a good torturer. Not because he doesn't have the stomach, but he doesn't have the patience. (laughs) Very accurate. Very accurate. It's very good. It's very good. Oh my god! And I love the whole roast me section as well. It's painful to watch, but I loved it. It's really fun. It's sad. (laughs) Like speaking of sad, who do you think is the saddest character Mm. by the end of this episode? Well, this is a really hard one to call Mm -hmm. because Logan's pretty sad, and we didn't talk about the very end of the episode when Logan calls Sid and is really cross at ATN News. And he says, "What does he say about the presenter? He looks like a, a testicle in a toupee or something like that." <laughs> so good, so good. But but I think Logan's in a pretty sad place. But of course, Shiv mm. is in a very sad place for me. It's 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 probably out of those two for me. I think for me, it has to be Logan. And it's not even the final scene that's the saddest one for me. I think it's the roast me scene. (laughs) Where he literally, he does, he's missing something, but he does not know what it is. And even if he does know what it is, aka his kids, he refuses Mm -hmm. to acknowledge it. He refuses to also acknowledge the fact that these, his inner circle is just a bunch of self-serving hanger-ons. Yep, yep. Exactly that. And also, the fact that he, you know, that line I mentioned at the start where he's like, why are all these people so fucking happy? <laughs> yeah. He so resents anyone being happy. And that is the saddest feeling of all. Yeah. And also, I think he's not finding his situation 
a happy one. The fact that he's selling to Gojo and everyone keeps going, well, look, you, 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 congratulations, you know, you've done it, you know. He doesn't see that as a win, I don't think, does he? That's the thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I agree. It's it's definitely Logan, isn't it? Um, who's the MVP? Who is the, who comes out on top at the end of this episode, Anna, do you reckon? Tally. <laughs> Tally. So, I think it's Tally. He's our new character, he's gonna get isn't a, he? This kind of like. He's going to get a massive cut. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the financial advisor yeah. um, love him because again like the, Roman's little comments about him throughout amazing because they keep calling him asking Remind for advice for and he's like yeah mm-hmm. sure I love Roman's line of like oh I wish I'd also gone to Harvard <laughs> Business School you know I can see the Ivy League brain seeping in through each one of your insightful comments yeah. Telly he's like he's going to charge us 120 mil for this phone call and stuff yeah. it's so good <laughs> so good I think Telly's on top yeah yeah, I've gone with Nan. I've gone with Nan. She's she's also come out of this pretty well, right? She's got her ten yes. billion payout for for Piers. ten billion. <laughs> just stupid money, Mike. Stupid money. You and I, like stupid. what? It's just the amount of zeros. No, I gotta fathom it. No, it's Seriously. it's barely a number, is it? It's ridiculous. It it's ridiculous. It's and again, I'm so intrigued to see like. Do the kids literally have that money to spend? Like this is this is what's going to be really interesting to see next week. Like how they follow through with this and yeah. where that's going to land them. You know. And I'm really really excited for the reemergence of Matson, yes. Alexander Skarsgård's character, because that tension, once the deal goes through between Logan and Matson. That kind of the old school CEO and the new school CEO. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, that's that's gonna be fireworks. And what are we gonna have potentially if they buy Pierce? It's gonna be like Shiv running one, Tom running ATN, like these two rival news companies both being owned by the Roy's potentially, which is gonna be kind of interesting. None of them knowing what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's been it for the first episode of season four, The Monsters. I love it. Well, I'm I'm so excited, uh, Anna, already. Next week cannot come quickly enough for me. And I can't wait to, at the point we're recording this, you know, the, the episode hasn't gone out yet. So I'm so keen to dive into theories, reactions, discourse, and everything else that's going to happen. All the recaps. Yeah, yeah. There are already reviews of the first episode out there, but I, I don't know about you. I love TV recaps. I love reading them when I'm watching a show. Me too. So I've already... First thing tomorrow, I'm going to be on on those recaps reading that. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. And for everyone listening, I want to hear what people think of this as well. Reach out to us on Twitter. Yes. Like, I want to hear people's thoughts on this episode, people's theories as well, you know, because I just I think it's going to be such a fun thing to discuss going forward. Absolutely. Tell us your favorite lines. Tell us your saddest moments, your MVPs, your thoughts on the costumes mm-hmm. and the hair situations that are hair happening situations. in the show. Yeah, yeah. It's very important. What's happening with Mondale? Mondale oh, Watch. We can begin Mondale. it now. Yeah. I'll yeah. start. I'll start the hashtag Mondale Watch on Twitter, so everybody yeah. just chip in as when Mondale shows up. Yeah, Mondale needs to be protected at all costs. Think, <laughs> in the show. So yeah, let's make sure that happens. So. On that note, Mike, where can people follow and engage with your work online? Um, so you can find me. I'm on Twitter at the Movie Mike. And if you like horror stuff, I have other podcasts. I've got the Evolution of Horror podcast, which just started a new season. And also Anna and I have a Scream recap podcast for any Scream fans out there called Hello Sydney, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Anna B. Demented. You can subscribe and listen to Hello Sydney, where Mike and I talk, and Louise Blaine talk about the Scream movies. You can also listen to my horror podcast, The Final Girls. We are going to be launching the new season imminently. Yes. And you can also catch up on my writing whenever I remember to post about it on Twitter. And you can pre-order my book, Unlikable Female Characters, where I talk about all the pop culture characters you love to hate. I love that. Uh, join us next week for another episode of The Succession Easters. Fuck off.